It's a staggering thought. The ultimate goal of birdwatching is to know all the birds of the world, all 10,000-plus species. But Richard Prum says he doesn't mean know, K-N-O-W, the birds, in the same sense that one can know the laws of gravity or the height of Everest. There's a key difference, he says, between what a bird watcher experiences and a simple walk in the woods when you're only briefly aware of the birds swooping in front of you. He writes, The English language falls short in communicating this distinction because English provides us with only one verb for to know. Many other languages have two distinct verbs. One means knowing a fact or understanding a concept, and the other means being familiar with someone or something through personal experience. To know or understand a fact in French is savoir, and to be familiar with someone or something through experience, connaître, in German, wissen and kennen, for example. The key difference between birding and mere observation is that birding is really about building a bridge between these two kinds of knowing, connecting familiarity and personal experience to facts and understanding. It's about accumulating knowledge about the natural world through your own personal experience. That's why, to a birder, it always matters whether or not you have actually seen the bird in real life and not just on the page. Knowing that the bird exists without seeing it for yourself is merely knowledge without experience, savoir without connaissance, which is never enough. No wonder Kelly Finnan was fired up when she read Thoughts Like This by Richard Prum, Dr. Richard Prum, an ornithologist at Yale. And here he is writing about birds and beauty in a way that the aesthetic and the scientific aren't separate and distinct, but actually giving us perhaps knowledge of the wondrous world we live in from a different point of view. Prum tells us he has dedicated his whole career to the serious scientific study of the evolution of birds, and that he is a dedicated birder, just like Kelly Finnan is. And so Kelly most likely would have nodded vigorously in agreement when she read Prum on warblers. He suggests no one who sees a male black Bernian warbler can fail to observe its crisp black body plumage, brilliantly orange throat and face patterns, and white wing bars, belly and tail spots. The sight of a black Bernian warbler would create a truly stunning and memorable sensory impression on anyone. But birding is about more than just seeing a bird and taking in the visual experience of it. Birding is about recognizing all the physical characteristics of the bird and being able to attach the correct name or proper noun to that observation. So again, it's both and the aesthetic and the scientific together. And maybe that's what makes Kelly Finnan such a powerful illustrator. She is a scientific illustrator who works with clients like the Nature Conservancy, the National Aquarium in Baltimore, Yosemite National Park, and Harvard University, from her home here in Hopbottom in Susquehanna County. And her passion for her work and for the worlds she explores with her clients is so very clear. It's as if she wants to help them get to know their research subjects or projects ever more deeply, and in so doing, 
she learns more about the splendid world, about a gene in some finch species that leads males to be dazzling while females look relatively drab. And at the same time, the precision she demonstrates with the finches featured in The Scientist magazine in 2020 is carried over when she's called on to illustrate the cervical human spine merging with a white swan in a body-based visionary therapeutic tool she's working on. And because of her intense engagement with the world around her, she is very highly sensitive to the abuse and destruction this world is experiencing. No wonder that she and her work have been noticed by a statewide organization that will present her with the 2021 Woman of the Environmental Arts Award. Each year, Penn Future honors the accomplishments of outstanding women conservationists in Pennsylvania. The 2021 Celebrating Women in Conservation Awards are designed to recognize excellence in conservation and to forge a stronger network of women who are deeply committed to working to protect Pennsylvania's environment. Since its inception in 2015, the event has traveled around the state to different communities to ensure recognition of local leaders, volunteers, and career professionals throughout the Commonwealth. And the 2021 event will be held here in northeastern Pennsylvania on Thursday, September 9th, appropriately as we prepare to speak with Kelly Finnan at the Sordoni Art Gallery at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre. We had a chance to speak by phone with Kelly Finnan about the way science and art come together in her work and how they first came together in her life. One thing that was pretty clear early on was that I was very interested in drawing. My mother worked in an insurance company, and she would wind up with, like, lots of scrap paper that came out of the printers. It was just printed on one side. And so she would bring it home, these stacks of paper, and uh, I would come home from school and just draw all over them. I was pretty obsessed with dogs at the time, and I was drawing all these dog cartoons for, gosh, years probably. Meanwhile, my dad liked to take me salamander hunting. So we did a lot of that. I live in Hot Bottom, which is very rural, and I live in a house in the woods on 10 acres, and so there's lots to roam and explore. And one turning point was that my parents sent me to, it was like a science and nature camp at Keystone College when I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, and there I started learning the names of things, and I sort of got really interested. It wasn't until much later that the two interests really merged, though. Were you always precise, though? You have such a refinement in your ability to draw. Were you precise in that way? (laughs) No. The precision, that didn't really come into play until high school when I started learning about proportion and shape and negative space and all that. Luckily, I had a really exceptionally supportive art teacher, um, Mr. Barbolish at Mountain View, and he really supported my interests and helped me learn probably a little more than the average high school student would have learned in the arts. And, uh, yeah, and the sciences were good, too. At the same time, were you looking at artists like Leonardo, who brought art and science together? I didn't really study art history until college, which is about the time that I started realizing that scientific illustration was even a possibility. And, yeah, that's when I started studying 
for example, Da Vinci, the Renaissance artist, and also some of the really strange stuff like Dadaism. And I became aware of like the breadth and the depth of art, and I sort of started honing down my path a little bit. Speaking of path, were you a hiker? Did you continue to go out into the world of nature and get surprised by the mushrooms and all of that? Yeah, I, I've been a hiker for most of my life, at times more into it than other times. Right now, I'm, uh, my boyfriend and I are attempting to hike the 46 high peaks in the Adirondacks, and we're only on, I think I'm on number 15, so we haven't gotten super far yet. But at one point, I had a job working for the Maine Natural Areas Program, and my actual job, which was, like, amazing, I had it for two summers, was literally hiking the trails in Maine and then doing these written descriptions of the natural history along the trails and then sort of laying them out in PDFs and submitting them to this website called the Maine Natural Areas Program. So that sort of ties in the other side, like the hiking science outdoor side. At that point, I wasn't illustrating full-time. But yeah, hiking and being outdoors and gardening and, gosh, it's all been a big part of my life pretty much this entire time. Well, all right, we've got different paths and lots of interests. And so bring us to the point where things began to come together. Okay, so I was actually a pretty average college student in the sense that I got to my senior year and I was like, well, I studied the two things that I was most interested in college, like the things that my parents probably thought I would study, which was science and art. I was at Juniata College where I was able to merge those together into a double major. And I got to my senior year and people are starting to say like, well, what are you going to do with that? So at that point, I stumbled upon this program, this scientific illustration program. At the time, it was at UC Santa Cruz Extension, which is University of California, Santa Cruz. And it's a one-year certificate program. And I thought like, ooh, that looks pretty interesting. And so I took the leap and applied. I Honestly, I, I feel like I got lucky because I wasn't the sort of college student that had my life planned out. In fact, I think many, many college students don't. So I almost went to grad school to kind of like delay reality. But it turns out that luckily the grad program that I attended really opened up a whole new world to me. And it ended up being, scientific illustration ended up being the love of my life ever since. And then that program did a really good job of preparing me for it. And what skills did you need to learn that you didn't have to follow through then to be able to be a scientific illustrator? To be honest, I think the most important one that I learned was digital art. This was 2008, and digital art was just sort of starting to become more popular. And at UC Santa Cruz is where I I really got good at Adobe Photoshop, which, believe it or not, a lot of people use as a painting program. I'd say virtually everyone I know that uses Photoshop uses it more as like a painting tool, like a blank canvas and paint than as a photo manipulation program, which is kind of what it was designed for. So yeah, in that one-year certificate program, I got much better at Photoshop. They really honed my skills there. I learned Adobe Illustrator, which is quite similar, and that's the tool that I use probably more than anything now. And I also learned some tools for accuracy. I learned a bit more about anatomy and what, what to look for when you're looking at a scientific subject. Your website says the work you do is visual problem solving. And so it's more than just copying the turtle before you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that brings up a question that a lot of people, I think, are 
They're not overtly asking. They're sort of quietly wondering, which is, why don't you just take a picture? Pictures are automatically accurate, which is true. The issue with photos is that there's a lot that you can't capture with a photo. For example, like what's going on a mile underground or what's happening 100 light years from Earth or what happened 100 million years ago, what's happening at the atomic scale, all different scales and times you can't capture with a photo. So often people come to me and they need to show, they need to explain something and they don't always necessarily know how. And in certain cases, they don't exactly know what it looked like. Like, for example, right now I'm helping a geoarchaeologist reconstruct a Revolutionary War fort, and the reality is that neither of us know exactly what this thing is going to look like yet. We're both just sort of doing some independent research and trying things out and coming back to each other, and he's taking the ideas and consulting historians. So, honestly, it's fun to just draw the turtle. Like, that's very nice and easy and usually looks good. But by far the most interesting part of my job is that I so often am presented with a challenge or a series of challenges, and we have to not only be able to either reconstruct something or explain it to a different audience, but also make it look good so people would want to look at it. And the remarkable thing is you are in hop bottom, but you have clients who are around the country, and you have the most respected names in museums and colleges and universities who come to you and say, yes, help us. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm in hop bottom, and that's the beauty of the Internet, I guess. Most of my clients I have never met in person. We used to meet through phone a lot. Then the pandemic started and everyone got used to Zoom, so now I spend a good amount of time on Zoom. But yeah, I've uh, worked from home for quite a long time now, I guess the majority of the last 10 years. And yeah, that, that's one of the beauteous things about being an illustrator or graphic designer is you can kind of be wherever. I even have worked, I've worked quite a bit while I travel. Right before the pandemic, I decided to try working from Peru, which turned out to be really, really, really bad timing. But if it hadn't been for the pandemic, I think that would have worked pretty well. The things that we discover when we look at your website and see your projects, it's an enormous range. And for different ages, for young people, you do work for children to help them understand concepts. You do precise things for scientific journals Mm -hmm. and things like that. So the range is amazing. And I was struck by, in the middle of one of the pages, The Bird of Paradise. And it was influenced by Evolution of Beauty by Mm -hmm. Dr. Richard Prum. And you said that birds are beautiful because they're beautiful to themselves. So what about this concept of nature and beauty? We know that scientists sometimes are filled with wonder and awe as well. Yeah. Yeah, I particularly like that quote, and I like Richard Prum's ideas, although they're sort of considered radical by many scientists. He argues that birds evolved to be beautiful purely, well, the males evolved to be beautiful purely because the females prefer the beauty and not because it's related to some other advantageous trait. For example, like the long, long tail of a bird of paradise. Many scientists will say like, oh, that's related to the health of the bird and it's showing the female that that bird is healthy, whereas Prom sort of argues that, no, it's just beautiful because it's beautiful and the females prefer that. And I just, I think that's really awesome. And I, I think about that often when I see really beautiful birds, which I, I do often because 
I have a lot of hobbies, and one of them happens to be birding. In general, that reminds me of one of the more exciting parts of my job is talking to scientists who have new and wonderful ideas and are just so darn excited about them that it makes me really excited about them. I haven't actually met Richard Prom. I saw him speak once, and that was enough to get me kind of interested in his ideas. But the ones that I do talk to from a day-to-day basis are just usually like beyond them, beside themselves with excitement about whatever it is that they've discovered. And that's just so fun. It's like so fun to be part of that. And the bird of paradise you've created as your image is just so graceful and the sense of the dignity with which the bird of paradise is holding that pose and the coloring. You have a wonderful sense of color in everything you do. That was an interesting project in part because I started it when I was in grad school um, before Prom's ideas were even out there. And then when I saw him speak, I was kind of inspired to pick that piece back up again and go back in and really bring it to the level that I thought it should be. Again, looking at some of the images, I stopped at the zebrafish. It's a zebrafish in different stages of growth, and the colored one looks like you could touch it and it would wiggle. (laughs) It's translucent. There is a sense of dimension to that image. It's quite a fish. Oh, thank you. That was a fun project, too. That was for a researcher at Harvard. It had to do with zebrafish and their ability to regrow organs, which apparently is, they have this really incredible ability to regrow. I'm not even going to try to make up a percent, but they can regrow organs. And she was trying to figure out from a microbiologic standpoint how that works. And I think it has something to do with a protein, and that would also affect the development of the embryo, which is why I've drawn a couple of zebrafish embryos to go with that one. But that's another example of some of the some of the cool ideas that, that show up in my inbox. And then it's the Energy Archaeology Oracle deck. Oh, yeah. Is that like a deck of tarot cards? Yeah. So that was for a woman that I actually met in college. And we stayed in touch through social media, I guess, for the better part of 15 years. We just sort of were distantly looking at each other's work. And she has a business, which is very cool. I'm very happy to work with another woman, a small woman-owned business, and she uses them for oracle readings. To be honest, I'm not an expert on the difference between oracle cards and tarot cards, but they're, I think they're used very similarly. And for me, it was an opportunity to sort of get out of my box a little bit and get a little more creative. And that project, one of the cool things about it was that Ashley, she's the person behind Energy Archaeology, she sort of had a vision for each one of these cards, and we would sort of take turns where she would do the sketch, and she would send it to me, and I would take my best crack at it. And those are all digital paintings. They don't look like they're digital, but they are. So that's one of the advantages of digital is that they're very easy to edit. So I would take a stab at it, and she would say, no, that pelvis needs to be over here. So I would go back and change it, or she'd be like, oh, the background should be pink on the bottom and blue at the top. And so I'd go and make the changes, and we sort of just tag-teamed it working together. It took about probably two and a half years, and I really like how that allowed me to sort of let go of everything being hyper-realistic and make things that use my scientific illustration skills. You know, I got to use all kinds of 3D skeleton references, but I also got to do things like put a skull in the sky with rainbows around it 
and put an elbow growing out of the ground with a deer sleeping under it. And it was nice to relax (laughs) a little bit working on that deck. It's pretty cool, and it was very, very fun to work on. You were good to mention the fact that, Ashley, her business is a woman-owned business, and you are very careful to mention on your website and clear about the fact that you own your business and you manage your business, and that's something that's important to you. Yep. Yeah, it's important. To be honest, in the past couple of years, I've become sort of obsessive about what products I purchase, who I support, because I guess I... I'm trying to reject a little bit. I've just become very aware of like how much waste we as humans are producing and how much we buy and how much we throw out and where we buy things from. And so I, I really pay attention, especially when I'm shopping, actually, to see what is this money supporting. I guess I, I start by trying to use the things that I have as much as I can and for as long as I can. And then if I something really beautiful or stunning that I can't live without, I try to figure out, okay, is, is it new? Is it made from recycled materials? Is it made by someone who, like a maker that I will interact with personally? Is it going to make a difference in someone's life if I buy this item? And I guess I also have a heightened awareness of that because I am a small women-owned business and I like to be supported. And so I try to support the other women that are trying to trying to get by like I am. So it must be a real honor for you to receive the Penn Futures Award then. Yeah, yeah. I was really thrilled and surprised to find that out. And I'm super excited and I'm very much looking forward to meeting the other women who will be attending the ceremony. And I I think one of Penn Futures' intentions was to connect us so that we can work together and hopefully be more than just the sum of our parts. And so I'm really looking forward to meeting the other women. In the course of your education, because that's where we started, Mm -hmm. there is STEM and there's STEAM. Do you think about that STEM education and STEAM education, those concepts are are important for us to talk about as a society? That's a good question. Let's see, science, technology, engineering, math, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. It seems like it would be a mistake to leave out the arts because... To be honest, art is a form of communication, and science is like, I hate to say this, but science is like almost useless without communication. Like, if you have the solution to to whatever, climate change, and you can't get that idea out there, it's not going to go anywhere. And so it's critical, in my opinion, to have people who are trained to communicate either visually or in writing and do it in a compelling way that engages people and can make science more public and accessible and motivate change. Kelly Finnan, a scientific illustrator and graphic designer, owner and art director of Kelly Finnan Illustration in Hop Bottom, Pennsylvania. She specializes in science illustration and graphic design for educators, scientists, authors, and notable clients include the National Aquarium in Baltimore, McGraw-Hill Education, Harvard University, Yosemite Park. She was a scientific visualization fellow, in fact, at the Sierra Nevada Research Institute at Yosemite in 2009. She attended Juniata College, has her bachelor's degree from there. She studied in the Galapagos during that time. 
She has a master's degree in plant biology, and that's from the University of Vermont. She has studied at the Rhode Island School of Design and the University of California, Santa Cruz. And as we heard, she is a hiker and a birder. And she has come to the attention of Penn Future, which is a statewide environmental advocacy organization. And each year, Penn Future honors the accomplishments of outstanding women conservationists in Pennsylvania. The 2021 Celebrating Women in Conservation Awards are designed to recognize excellence in conservation and to forge a stronger network of women who are deeply committed to working to protect Pennsylvania's environment. And so, the 2021 event will be held here in northeastern Pennsylvania on Thursday, September 9th at 6 p.m. at the Sordoni Art Gallery at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre. Each of the award recipients will be on hand, and that would include the recipient of the Woman of the Watershed Award, the Woman of the Environmental Justice Award, Woman of Climate and Renewable Energy, and, as we've just suggested, Kelly Finnan will be there to accept the Woman of the Environmental Arts Award. And the public is invited, but you are invited to join the group online. And to do that, you need to go to the Penn Future website, and you can get your ticket there, and they will then send you the link for the event. So it is the Celebrating Women in Conservation Awards, Thursday, September 9th at 6 p.m. at the Sordoni Art Gallery at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, and the public can join online. And the website is penfuture.org penfuture.org and it is a special event that moves around the Commonwealth each year so that each region will be represented directly. And to experience the work and learn more about Kelly Finnan, you can check her website. It's Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y Finnan, F-I-N-A-N dot com. Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y Finnan, F-I-N-A-N dot com.